Uh, the life of micro business is harder in every sense. Uh, you are one man, one woman show trying to do uh, 10,000 things, always juggling. Then you have kids at home. Then it's just it's just a hustle, <laughs> uh, if I can if I can say it in this way. So our goal is to have this community of support, not only bringing services but also bringing emotional support, so that uh, life can be a bit easier. Welcome to the Young Changemakers Podcast Season 4. In this episode, we will be talking to inspiring young people from all around the world to explore how they are making a positive change in their communities. This podcast is a Global Changemakers production. To learn more about how you can also make a difference, visit our website, global-changemakers.net. Enjoy the episode. Hi everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Young Changemakers podcast. We're very excited to have you spend the next 45 minutes with us. In this episode, we're joined by Joao Durante, um, a 2016 GCM alumni. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about his organization, Impulso, and we'll dive a little bit into micro businesses, specifically in Portugal. He was a part of the Global Changemakers in 2016, where I got a chance to meet him in person. So we're very excited to have you on board and hear all your advice and all your experience. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, especially after six years of officially becoming part of GSM family. So it's great to be back. <laughs> I think it was really one of the best weeks of my life. So so yeah, everything changed a bit after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. So why don't we just start with an introduction of what you've been up to recently? Um, we can talk a little bit about Impulso. So just an overall introduction. Sure. So Four years ago, more or less, I decided to 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 come back to Portugal to kickstart uh, my own social organization. Uh, it's called Impulso, and Impulso was born with the mission of helping entrepreneurs and micro businesses to grow together. Um, today, we are a community a community of more than a thousand spread across every district of Portugal, and we focused mainly on two areas: on micro business creation, and here. We work mostly with unemployed people and help them to go through all the process of kickstarting their idea, validating the market as cheap as they can, as fast as they can, uh, so that they can actually create their own opportunities and their own employment. And we've worked with more than 225 individuals, launching more than 180 businesses. And here we're really talking about micro-scale businesses. It's mostly for people to get themselves sorted and get themselves uh, employed in what they love. So we're very happy with that. Uh, we've worked in three cities in Portugal. We started also our online formats. Uh, and this has been, this has been uh, one of the axes that we've been working on. The second one is, is we focus on helping micro businesses that already exist, but somehow are struggling and need to reinvent themselves. And here we have a digital platform called the uh, uh, Expansion. And the goal is to provide all the support they need throughout the process uh, of reinventing themselves. Um, so we are very focused on becoming a community and on being a community. And our vision is to have micro businesses from one city collaborating with the other, exchanging with the other, because in the end, uh, the life of micro business is harder in every sense. Uh, you are one man, one woman show trying to do 
10,000 things, always juggling. Then you have kids at home. Then it's just, it's just a hustle, <laughs> uh, if, I can, if I can say it in this way. So our goal is to have this community of support, not only bringing services, but also bringing emotional support so that uh, life can be a bit easier. Yeah, so I'm curious to know kind of what prompted you to start focusing your social activism on micro-businesses. Yeah, well, maybe let me tell you a bit the story uh, behind it. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's interesting because I don't think I can say oh, it was this specific thing that I was super passionate that led me to. I think it was a sequence of things and then you start to discover more and more. Mm-hmm. And you fall in love with different things. But I think that the, um, the basic premise behind it was that um, I've always felt a bit uh, privileged. Uh, and I felt that I had a lot of opportunities in my life. And this aspect of having the opportunities uh, was always with me. Uh, so when I started digging down into this whole social entrepreneurship, social innovation aspect, uh, it was around 2014, and at that time, uh, it was, at least in Portugal, I'm going to say the peak of the financial crisis of 2008. So unemployment was huge. Uh, youth unemployment was really off the roof. <laughs> so I was in a context where a lot of people close to me were looking for opportunities that just didn't exist. So the question was, how do you create those opportunities? Uh, and that was the first seed uh, uh, the tool that I had, I believe, to, to actually um, make it useful to society was entrepreneurship. Uh, uh, I come from the startup world, so uh, my goal was a bit to adapt uh, the methodologies and the learnings that I had in that world, but to a very micro scale. And in this process, we started helping people that were somehow, for some, some reason, unempl- unemployed, uh, and it started to go well. Uh, people had a lot of motivation. Uh, they were validating their products. They were growing. They were getting some income that allowed to sustain themselves. And that kind of one thing led to the other. And I think after that, we started to understand that actually Portugal, and I can say Europe, but mostly Southern Europe, is, is, is uh, a micro-business uh, economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for you to understand, in Portugal, 96% of the businesses are micro-businesses. Okay. And by, by micro, we mean uh, businesses with less than 10 people employed. Uh, and, and in Portugal, the reality is that most businesses have one, two, three people employed. And if you go to Southern Europe, the, the landscape is very similar. And even if you go to Northern Europe, we're talking about 80% to 85%. Uh, of all the businesses are micro businesses so this is huge and this is a thing that a lot of people don't really understand the weight that they have on the economy in in portugal they represent 40 percent of the employment and we we used to say that no one cares about them (laughs) we are super focused on uh, scaling startups and technology and of course that is super needed uh, but that still represents a very small portion of the population. So the majority of it, we always felt that they were a bit left behind. And they, are, they mean livelihoods. They mean like products that people love to make. They mean uh, sometimes the, the sustainability of families. So I think one thing led to the other. It started with opportunities that it started. Then it, and then it went to micro-businesses. Uh, and I also had a bit of the nostalgia of like the neighborhood commerce and mm-hmm. my parents always talked about it and I still witnessed it a bit. 
And I feel that this is a bit of revival. Like if we can connect again with local micro businesses, we can have that thing that so many people talk about that they feel the lack of the sense of community. We talk about businesses don't have sustainability. They are too big. They pollute too much. Maybe that can be like a starting point to, or, or, or not a starting point. It can be a go back that can actually benefit everyone. So I think maybe this is what moves me. Okay, that's definitely really interesting to hear that 40% of employment comes from micro businesses. Do you feel like the government of Portugal is, you know, has programs and has resources for people to, to support these micro businesses? Um, I feel that, that uh, there are programs and there are policies in place. Um, but uh, the thing, and, and uh, if you allow me to go a bit deeper on the Portuguese landscape, and I'm assuming that this is uh, parallel in, in other countries, the problem of micro-businesses is that they are small. And because they are small, they don't negotiate in scale. They don't have, uh, they have small, uh, how, how can I say, um, they work almost month by month in terms of cash flow. Okay. So, which means that you need a lot of agility, you need a lot of flexibility to work with micro businesses. Mm -hmm. When you have state programs that take months to give you an answer, that pay reimbursements after months, um, you're basically struggling uh, uh, in micro businesses. So, what happens a lot, just for you, for, for you to have to have an example, by law, the the state needs to pay uh, their suppliers, and we talk about big or small companies. Uh, maximum 30 days but the average in Portugal is 95 days uh, Portugal is the second country in Europe uh, with with the most delayed payments by the by the by the state mm -hmm. uh, and this is very common uh, again in Europe in, in southern Europe and a lot of business, businesses just die uh, because of that so a lot of times is right. not enough for you to have policies or programs for micro businesses to support them, you need to have the agility and to have, you need to have all the, um, the chain of execution from policy to, to program to actually like the things happening on the, on the ground. Mm -hmm. So I feel that there are things in place. What I feel that it misses is in this execution of actually these programs that take too long and a lot of time struggle uh, the micro business. That's definitely interesting to hear. Where does, Impulso kind of come into this space? So our goal was, was to be an aggregator. Mm -hmm. uh, we were not giving financial support. So uh, many people think about, okay, micro businesses, they associate with microcredit and financial support is critical, but financial support alone is not enough. Uh, so Impulso wanted to position itself where we actually really didn't see any major playing acting, which was on the non-financial support. Uh, and our goal was to be uh, a bit an aggregator, to work also with uh, entities that were giving financial support and we could give the, 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 the rest of the support. But what happens is that it's very hard to give non-financial support because it's very expensive. And when you talk about micro-businesses, because they don't have scale, it basically is just not sustainable. So mm -hmm. our approach was, okay, this needs to be done uh, in scale, even in a country uh, small like Portugal, and it needs to be aggregated. That's why we are pushing so much in becoming a community, because then we could, um, uh, how can I say, mitigate some of the issues of, of micro businesses. One of them is that they cannot negotiate because they don't have scale. 
but we were a community of more than a thousand. So we were negotiating with some of the biggest companies, Mm -hmm. some of the biggest suppliers, best best prices. We were uh, negotiating with uh, service providers uh, to 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 give some sort of discount, to give some market better better market price, to give some sort of uh, extra support to micro businesses. So our goal was really to be a community of support in every sense, not only emotional because it's very tough, but most in terms of providing services, also being a bridge to policymakers, also being a bridge. Uh, to the people that are designing these programs of support. <laughs> right. So it's almost like a platform that will advocate for micro businesses. Yes, in the end, in the end, that would be the end goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, we were really, really trying to have businesses that we helped create created, uh, businesses that we were supporting somehow, and to create this uh, uh, let's say relevance in in an international term. So yeah. that we could actually start bringing that 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 influence, and we're already uh, in touch and collaborating with some of the major entities that support micro business in Portugal. So that was really uh, our ongoing process. How do you feel? I know during COVID nineteen there were a lot of unemployment, and that kind of led to, at least in the U.S., more people starting their own micro businesses using social media to do so. How did COVID-19 affect the micro business space in Portugal? Um, that is a very interesting question, uh, because I think that, at least from what I saw compared to the U.S., was that we had a lot of social support. Mm-hmm. So you actually didn't have a lot of micro businesses uh, closing down during the pandemic. Of course, you have you had more than usual, but you didn't have a lot. Um, but most of them didn't close because they were having support. But after COVID, or after I'm, I'm say like in the last months, a lot of those supports uh, stopped. So mm-hmm. then you start to see the ripple effects. So the effects happen, but happen a bit later. Okay. I think what happened what happened here in Portugal was that a lot of businesses had to stop their activities, even though they were being fed. Uh, by the government, but some also took this chance to really uh, completely reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the things that we did, um, we started in February 2020. So at least one month before the lockdown here, we started talking with some of the businesses from our community. And we were understanding that people were afraid, people were frightened, what's going to happen? Like I have a small store down the street, how, how, how am I going to survive? And at the same time, we were having a lot of people, friends, community that were reaching out to us saying, hey, listen, I know that you work with these micro businesses. It has been hard for us to buy at the supermarkets because it was that time that supermarkets were just crazy to buy stuff. Everyone were like lining up. So they were like, can can you give us direct contacts? Uh, And at that time, we we launched a super super basic uh, tool. We just launched a Google Sheets where we started mapping out businesses from our community and how they were adapted to, to isolation, to people in isolation. Okay. And that was very, very interesting because we launched it on the day that the President of the Republic announced that, okay, from now on, people will need to stay at home. Mm-hmm. And we called it, um, we called it, we made kind of a movement incentivizing to buy to the small uh, called Kompros which literally means buy, hashtag buy to the small. And this movement uh, gained a huge momentum. Uh, we started having 
dozens of newspapers doing uh, articles on it. Uh, we started having companies reaching out to us, understanding how they could help. And it soon became a website. It soon became a, a survival kit mentoring program. We had a program to help these small businesses to place their products in, in supermarkets. Mm-hmm. Um, and after a few months, we had more than 800 uh, small businesses registered. Uh, we had dozens of thousands of views and the uh, hashtag used on, on, on Instagram today has more than 12,000 users. And it just started uh, on, on, on the movement. And today it became a little bit like a standard to help small businesses or to buy to small businesses. And we even see people like during Christmas season, like, all right, guys, let's like people that's like uh, completely random. Come on, let's buy to the small businesses. This is a great time to support. And, and that has been very interesting. So that has been our, our response. Yeah. Uh, but here in Portugal, we've been feeling that um that's the businesses some of them survived just because they had the support but eventually they would have to close down because they didn't have the time to to adapt the, adapt themselves right and a, a lot of times the things with micro business and i remember i was talking with a, a business that they were egg producers for two or three generations mm-hmm. and this lady was telling me that um my father like 50 years ago had all the clients so my whole life in the business was just production and Mm -hmm. in one month i need to come they they were supplying to hotels and restaurants and hotels and restaurants closed so in one or two months she needed to to have a marketing strategy a sales strategy she needed to completely revamp not just the business but herself for what she's used to doing yes yes so i think this was the biggest challenge for most of the businesses they a lot of them really had to rethink their business models and that is you cannot do that in one month mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that's very true in terms of a demographic for micro businesses is it mostly youth that you see you know going into micro business or like in terms of gender because i know we talk a lot about how females in certain countries are you know getting into micro businesses and that's been a way of empowerment for them so what what has your experience been with that? Um, yes, I can talk about um, this ignition program that we have that that we help people and employ people to start their businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the data uh, about regarding demographics that we have in more detail. And uh, around seventy percent of them of the two hundred twenty five people we we supported were unemployed. Um, the average age was forty one years old. Okay. So we had two major groups, uh, early 30s or early 50s. Uh, and it was very okay. curious. Um, the majority, so 75% of the, of, the, of the entrepreneurs were female, were women. Uh, and it was really interesting to see because these early 30s were people that had some experience in the job market, somehow mm-hmm. lost their job or left the job market. And they were looking to do something with the knowledge they had. Um, and it was really about, I'm going to say, start their own thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other major group we had was early 50s. And for me, this is one of the most interesting because we're talking about a concept that here in Portugal we call the, the young old people, like if I'm translating mm-hmm. directly, which means that they are 
too young to retire, but too old for the job market. That's mm -hmm. how they are perceived. But we're talking about people with 20 to 30 years of work experience, right. some in very challenging environments, and somehow they got out off the job market and they're just not being able to, to go back and they have like 10 years ahead of them. Mm -hmm. So these are people that even have financial means to start their business. They have the knowledge, they have everything. Right. Sometimes they just need the push. So for for us and for me personally, this has been a very interesting group to work with because they have just so much to give. Mm -hmm. um, and that has been a very interesting perspective. Just to add one last thing, um, almost 20% of the people that we worked with were migrants. That has also been uh, an interesting uh, demographic that we've been having, mostly from Portuguese-speaking countries. So the language was already there. It was really arriving and using their knowledge to start the business because a lot of times they had difficulties in entering the job market. Hi there. We hope you're enjoying the episode so far. At Global Changemakers, we support youth to create a positive change towards more inclusive, fair and sustainable communities. We do this by providing skills development, capacity building, mentoring and grants. Head to our website global-changemakers.net to join our programs and use our resources. Now on with the rest of the episode. You spoke about um, a program called the Ignition Program. I'm curious in that, you know, when you're dealing with someone who's 30s and then compared to someone who's in their 50s, what has the approach been in kind of addressing those two very different demographics? We designed the program from the beginning. I think that what was missing was actually the the process of validating on the market. So a lot of people think about, I'm going to start a business, I'm going to do an entrepreneurship course, or I'm going to do, I'm going to learn what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And the truth is that no one really knows. <laughs> so what, what you have available that is very valuable are methodologies and tools that you can use based on your own idea to validate your idea on the market. Mm -hmm. So no one can tell you that's a good idea, that's a bad idea. No one really knows. The market will tell so what we did was we really adapted some of the most known and best tools on the market for people with no business knowledge. Mm -hmm. And all the methodology is, I'm going to say, 95% uh, hands-on. And you just work on your business idea. And, um, and that has been very important because no matter where you are, how, I'm going to say, what's the level of your education, where you come from, um, you all go through the same process because in the end, what you have to face is the market. Uh, mm -hmm. So for us, we got on the same class, people, their 20s, their 40s, their 40s, their 50s, women, men, uh, different, different uh, countries. Um, and in the end, what matters is really that, uh, that you go with your idea, you apply these methodologies and, and you validate on your own. And of course, it's great to have peers that can give you constant feedback. And we, we really use a lot of collaborative feedback mechanisms as well throughout the whole pro program. But uh, uh, most of all is that there's not like a, a specific thing that we use, mm -hmm. uh, but the whole program was designed to be, um, we used to say we're not the owners of the truth. We just have some, some methodologies that maybe uh, going to help you and a lot of times people come to us and and for a lot of for a lot of people just this way of thinking is very transformational especially when it's a bit older right. which is normally 
a lot of people would come to us and say, hey, I want to open a bakery and it costs me $50,000. And that's why I don't open a bakery because I don't have that money. Mm. And of course, the approach here is just, all right, calm down. <laughs> Maybe first let's validate if that's, that's a need in the market. Yeah. And how can you bootstrap that idea? And then it starts, okay, maybe you don't need a store to start making bread. Maybe you can start baking at home. You mm -hmm. cut 95% of the costs. Maybe you can share the, you can go to a shared kitchen. So instead of advancing for the machines, you can like pay monthly. Maybe you can negotiate a deal that you pay a percentage of your profits. Maybe you can, and if you keep going down on this, uh, this person that needed $50,000 to, to, to open a bakery is starting to sell bread for less than $100. Mm -hmm. And you do scaled investments on top of that. And for us, that has been very, very interesting to see how people adapt to this. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of, a lot of uh, people and a lot of businesses that... that uh, went through this methodology and today our businesses with one, two, three people and, and, and are prospering. And that has been very, very interesting for us that you can actually validate your ideas and you can create value. I'm going to say almost out of nothing. And mm -hmm. for us, that, that has been a beautiful journey. I think definitely adaptability seems to be like a central theme when talking about micro businesses. And it and it's also, you know, making sure that you do like customer research on the market even before you bring an idea. So it sounds like a lot of your methodology starts off with helping individuals figure out how to do that market research. And then based on the resources that they have, how to, you know, almost make the most of it as they progress in their journey. Yeah, yeah, completely. Uh, I can also give you sometimes like, Normally, people, people ask us, okay, but what do you need to start? And mm -hmm. we normally say, you just need a little spark. Mm -hmm. Like, if there's no spark, we cannot do anything. But if the spark is there, we just try to, to, to increase it and to stimulate it. And a lot of times, people come with a rough idea and people can... Basically, what we teach is a process. So a lot of times, people come with an idea. They change in the middle of the program. They end up with a different idea because it's this... Iter iterative process and and it requires a lot of interactions and a lot of times people just adapt what they like or what they are used to do um to just a business opportunity and uh i remember we, we worked with with uh with an entrepreneur and she was she was uh, in her early 50s she was unemployed and she had always worked in a in a enterprise uh context uh she assisted uh uh, manage, management and she did also some admin work so in the end she knew how a company worked from the inside she had the language mm -hmm. and she also had one of the highest degrees of of, of meditation in Portugal mm -hmm. um, and this was already a few years ago so at the time no one was talking about meditation mm -hmm. uh, so she started one of the first med meditation programs for the corporate world and she started working with her previous company uh, with this so I think this really exemplifies and today she has uh, customers has hotel chains and, and other retailers. And this has been for us just a very interesting approach that actually you can just like use things that you have, that you've learned, that you're good at, mm -hmm. and just basically recycle uh, your skills, just adapt a bit, and you can actually create something completely new and reinvent yourself. And for us, this, this has been very, very, uh, very interesting to see and very also uh, uh, mind-blowing in a way. You no, know, I feel like a lot of people talk about what it is to be an entrepreneur. 
Um, but you know, it's not always easy, especially in the beginning when you're trying to set up an idea, get resources in. So definitely having that spark and passion in the work that you're doing, whether it's the product or service, I feel like is super, super important. So speaking of your time at Impulso, what has been like the most rewarding experience you've had? And then we can also talk about, you know, what has your biggest learning been creating this social movement? Sure, sure. Uh, maybe let me just ask one thing to uh, add one thing to, to, yeah. to, to, to the last thing we're, we're, we're speaking. There's always the question of, okay, but am I an entrepreneur? I'm not an entrepreneur. Is entrepreneurship for everyone? Yeah. And I think the learning is that entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Uh, because it's a very tough and demanding process and it's not for everyone or it's not for everyone at all times of their lives. Yeah. But the process of validating something on the market, I truly believe there is for everyone. Mm -hmm. And that is what will dictate if entrepreneurship is for you at the phase of your life that you are or not. And I think this is where people normally get mixed up because people say, oh, no, this is not for everyone. So you don't even try. Mm -hmm. um, and our approach is different. Our approach is that the process is actually very valuable because the process in the end, the process of validating in the market is more about you learning how to learn. Because what, as an entrepreneur, you need to understand that 99% of what you're going to do, you don't know yet. Mm -hmm. You will just need to be able to learn along the way. Yeah. And for us, that has been very important because there's always this discussion and it's a very valuable discussion. But just this by going through this process, you learn how to learn. And this mm -hmm. is valuable in any context. And also for us, I'm going to say a success metric is for someone who goes for our programs and at the end says, okay, this is not for me now. Mm -hmm. I don't want this. Or goes, tries a bit and stops and gets a job. That is for a success because in the end, this is a process. This is a, a, a capabilities that you as an individual, you get. I just wanted to, to, to mention this because I think it's very important. It's always like a huge discussion about this. So yeah, it's very valuable. What was your biggest learning, you know, going through creating <laughs> Impulso? And also, was there a moment of impact or something that you remember that really stood out to you during the creation of Impulso? Uh, yes, so so many. I want to say learning is more than an acknowledgement uh, mm -hmm. that I had throughout the journey is really, and I don't know, it, it always like these kind of things sound a bit cliche <laughs> because it's not like not like the first time that, that, that someone says. I really think that, uh, I don't know, at least when I thought about a business or an entrepreneur, I really had this, this image of you go through your own process is very hard, but you need to be... Um, super sharp, super smart in strategizing, super agile. You really need to be, how can I say, a good technician as well at the same time. Like you really need to be to get to have your to have your A game at the industry, at the product that you're building. Mm -hmm. And I think that what I and also when you're approaching big companies or big or government entities, you really need to have your A game. You really need to bring everything on, on top of the table. Mm -hmm. And you do as well. But a lot of times, I think I didn't have this perception that it's people behind, like on, 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 the, other, on the other side as well. 
And doing business is more about dealing with people than actually like being good at the business that you're doing. I don't know if this is making much sense. <laughs> no, I definitely agree. I think one of the strongest things you can have is the ability to bring people into your team and having a strong team because that can have a huge impact on how you do Because um, even as an entrepreneur, you know, if you bring on a team and they're handling different sections of it, it gives you the flexibility to think about the next step to strategize, as opposed to, you know, if you have a team that's not delivering on what it should, then you're going in and dealing with the technicalities, the admin stuff, and that can take away from the, where you are strongest at. So I definitely agree being able to have a strong team is a huge part of that process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely. But I, I, what I meant is also even to extend that externally. And mm-hmm. what I was trying to say is, I don't know, a lot of times my idea was, okay, if I go and I want to negotiate with this partner or with this supplier, what matters is if I have the best deal for him. And what I'm trying to say is that a lot of times is not if you have the best deal. A lot of times is how you actually deal with the whole situation and deal with mm-hmm. this person itself. Um, and for me, that was very revealing because a lot mm-hmm. of times I was putting all my effort into having the best deal. And then I would go to the negotiation table and everything would fall apart. Mm-hmm. And other times I would just really prepare the setting. I would really prepare this organization, prepare this person. And even if I didn't have the best deal, I would get it. And I think for me, this was really like almost a call to action that in the end, we are not rational, mm-hmm. <laughs> no irrational. Like we, we are, we all go through a lot of emotions, a lot, a lot of aspects. And that applies also to business at the highest ends, talking about high, uh, high performing businesses, talking about high, high government profiles and I think that this was a very interesting, a very interesting uh, aspect that 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 in the end puts a lot of things into perspective because you, when you're studying or when you're in your first professional experience, you're very focused more on the technical part, on actually mm-hmm. learning that. And in the end, that is like five percent of what you end up doing later, like as an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the rest is all about deal, knowing how to deal with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also another learning was that. Um, How can I put it? It doesn't really matter what you say or what you sell. It matters what other people think that you are saying or selling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is very, very like a very blurred line where it, where you actually understand how other people perceive. And a lot of times you're like doing a pitch or you're like selling your product and you have all the facts there. You have everything there. And the person gets something completely different. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it doesn't really matter what you say. It just matters what the other person gets. And for you to do this exercise constantly and getting to the right point of selling, for us, that took us a long time. Because mm-hmm. we're like, no, but this is what we want to say because this is what's really in there. This is what's really important. Yeah. And after one or two years, you start realizing, yes, but this is not what matters to other people. And for us, that has been like a long and tough uh, experience to actually get like really um, our communication right. Mm -hmm. It seems like one of the biggest learning has been like learning how to build relationships with people, also building trust as you go along. Mm -hmm. You you asked also about the struggles or about uh, the, the, uh, the, the hard part. It's, it's a bit everything in the end is like from 
having to fire people that was one of the first things i had to do and it was one of the hardest for sure mm-hmm. uh you really question like how are you entitled to do this and even mm-hmm. if the person is underperforming uh, you have that you have just the the resilience you need to have uh that that is also very tough because uh, over a period of time that that becomes very hard i think for me personally was also the question um of how can i say emotional stability or mental health throughout this whole process a lot of times you really focus on taking care of everything and everyone and you're always the person that you put to the last and i don't know we kind of have this idea of like yeah leaders should be like that uh but uh, my experience was that not at all <laughs> you should give yourself the same respect that you give to other people not less or yeah. not put yourself last because when you don't take care of yourself you will not be able to take care of anyone or any anything else uh that has been also a a, a big struggle for us and and i think also the fact that um to realize i don't know i think that you are we are always educated uh in a in a way that you kind of like have a goal you have a task you design a project you do the project and then you were done mm-hmm. but when that doesn't happen which is building an organization um what happens is that you really need to prioritize and manage your energy and you really need to accept that a lot of times things will have loose ends you're not going to have exactly what you want and you also going to go through a phase that first you're executing then you are managing people to execute and this shift i saw a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs including myself struggling mm-hmm. uh because it's a completely different way of working is a completely different way of thinking and a lot of people just you get burned out on that because you cannot do both and you need to jump from one to the other in a proper timing and i think these have been like real struggles i think in mm-hmm. the journey in my journey what advice would you have for people who are struggling with that journey for me the most important skill when you're starting is prioritization mm-hmm. um and because i think it's really accepting that you're not you're not going to be able to do everything you want right. and for people that are very driven and highly ambitious highly motivated this is very hard this is almost unacceptable mm-hmm. because this is what you request from yourself i need to do everything that i set myself into um and i think that that is very hard for a lot of entrepreneurs to understand mm-hmm. that no like i need to manage myself my myself and my energy levels because there's always um there's a cap important. at all of it yes and there's actually like a a matrix that became very famous where you separate and you have this is important and urgent this is important but not mm-hmm. urgent this is and i highly advise people to use that especially when they are struggling with a lot of tasks because it really puts into perspective what is actually important and urgent mm-hmm. and most of the things are not and and also i feel that and also we i worked with dozens of of entrepreneurs and a lot of times what i felt was that um people start with something and when that's not working they create something else yeah. or they start focusing on something else when that's not work start something else but then you reach a point where you are focused on five different things and none is working of course because you're focused on five different things mm-hmm. and you cannot go back to focus just on one and that's why i say that 
the ability to prioritize and the ability to really stick to one thing. And even if not going well, you should have like a time frame in your mind that for six months, no matter what, I'm going to just focus on this. That is really critical. I think it's really like one of the most important skills. Otherwise, either you burn out in the like in the process or you just don't achieve the results you want because you're always changing. You're never prioritizing and you're always trying to do everything and not really doing something. So let's go back to talking a little bit about Pulso. I know we spoke briefly and you said it's going through some changes. Um, so talk to us a little bit about, you know, the changes, what's happening with the organization and kind of um, what's next. Yeah. So uh, 2021 for us was a super important year. Uh, we grew a lot. We worked almost with twice as many people as worked in the previous two years. Um, even though it was, at least in Portugal, still half of the year was like half lockdown, half like trying to get back to normal. Uh, we launched our new brand. We launched our new pro- a new product. Uh, our team grew. Uh, and a lot of things were happening. And that, that, that was wonderful. That was really... Uh, we are we are we were becoming more and more relevant we were being invited by european investment bank to be part of micro business studies for europe we were working already we need some international players uh, to understand how to look uh, for a more european perspective or how to apply what we were doing in european term but at the same time it was a very very tough year uh, professionally and personally um uh, the beginning of the year when we launched the, the new brand, the new product, it was also the second isolation period in Portugal. And at least personally, I definitely uh, underestimated the impact that uh, it had on me. Mm-hmm. And I think you always feel that when it's about you, you can always go a bit further. Like you feel you're really exhausted but you can always pull a bit more you can always go one more day one more week one more month it, it will be fine yeah. and i think that the me and the whole team were were very feeling the exhaustion uh, of of what we set ourselves to especially in this in this difficult context mm-hmm. and then a lot of things also happen uh like a lot of i'm gonna say emotional blows mm-hmm. uh, if i can say this way and I think in an entrepreneurial process, you're used to get a bit, to get punched in the face once in a while. Let's mm-hmm. put it this way. Once in a while is very frequently, but you're getting, <laughs> you get used to it. Yeah. Um, but I, I just feel that in these last months, uh, I got punched in the face like day after day after day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things, and, and some things sometimes just happen completely external to what you're doing, but they yeah. affect you. Um, uh, my co-founder decided to leave. Uh, some people in the senior team decided to leave as well. Like two weeks after uh, we hired two senior people, we were super excited. They entered, they started. And after two weeks, they decided to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so this was from a, from a sudden, uh, you basically, half of your team is yeah. out, especially yeah. your senior and and your team is super motivated but you just miss like a huge pillar of support uh for what you're doing so inevitable inevitably it ends up to to stay with you mm-hmm. and and yeah like these together with like the exhaustion of we work with public funding and you funding these with the exhaustion of the reporting of the administrative things behind it 
of the timings of the delays uh we had to uh, i had to ask for a personal loan to pay salaries just because the reimbursements were were delayed we are getting a lot of no's like usual but when you're tired and you yeah. keep hearing no's they it just it i just felt up. it was piling up yeah, yeah and it piled up to a point that um i started to have anxiety attacks stress attacks panic attacks uh to the point that it scared me a bit to be honest mm. um and even though we had we had um a full strategy on for 2022 we were hiring four people we were really like looking ahead uh i just felt that we were not in a state to to continue uh mm. with what we we're doing and uh when i don't know for me at least the rule was we're going to put blood sweat and tears but when it's you feel that you're getting to a place of no return in terms of your mental health and yeah. of your health uh then of course you start to question and and i had this moment at, at the end of the year mm-hmm. and uh in my mind uh after a period of, of reflection i decided to continue uh, mm-hmm. and to really like dedicate myself in 2022 and one day after i just had a very big panic attack and i really felt that it was my body telling me okay now is my turn to speak <laughs> uh it's is not good for you to do this for mm-hmm. yourself like uh, you're really passing this point of no return and and yeah we decided uh, i decided and communicated with the team that we were not we were not continuing mm-hmm. uh and that was very tough that was very tough on everyone that was very tough on me it's still being tough but uh uh we were always all super driven and motivated and we were working on this organization always to give 200% mm-hmm. and if it was not really to push ourselves um and to really transform a bit the landscape um we we didn't want to be here just to be like a normal organization doing a bit of micro business support yeah. because i think something very undervalued is the opportunity cost of the time of the people that you that are on yeah. your team and our team was really an a team mm-hmm. like I, i i think every people every person are wonderful people and wonderful pro- professionals that were uh giving up some let's put it uh better paid opportunities in other places to be there like really driven uh with the mission and and yeah it reached a point that we just didn't couldn't see it going anymore and we are i think we decided to close down but we are we were very proud of what we achieved and we told all our partners and we decided to everything that was on calendar all the activities we 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 did them because mm-hmm. we had agreed on doing them yeah. and we we decided to close down with our biggest event and we had the event last week mm-hmm. and we got more than 100 people our partners or some people from our community and it was just a moment of celebration mm-hmm. uh everyone uh that was part of this journey of this legacy was there to support and to say thank you and that, that was really really beautiful and we were there to also say thank you but one last time to shake a bit the the ecosystem and we brought some of the highest or maybe not highest the most relevant entities uh, working on micro business from banks providing microcredit to the biggest public entity that works with SMEs mm-hmm. um we brought them together one last time to really discuss and talk about the future of micro businesses and how to use micro entrepreneurship as a tool for social inclusion and mm-hmm. it was just a very beautiful moment and 
this process of course is being hard uh, on me on, on on everyone from the team mm-hmm. but uh, i don't know I, i i really believe that uh sometimes you need to let some things die for others to be born for mm-hmm. other more ambitious things to be born and it's important to know when to stop it's important to know when to let things go and uh we always wanted to how can i say if something needs to die we let it die we're just not going to try to keep it alive just because ourselves cannot let it go and and yeah that's what we did and and of course it's hard and we are still it's a bit like a breakup we're still mm-hmm. accepting it but uh, but yeah we're going through this process mm-hmm. well first of all thank you for sharing about that i know you know that process is definitely not easy and also I think it's really important that you mentioned, you know, learning to put your health and your mental health first because that's priceless on any level. So, understanding that and prioritizing yourself. Um, but also talking about, you know, letting go of this company that you had built for so long, this movement. But I I think like you said, you know, you were able to end it with a celebration cuz you had done such good work and then kind of recognizing that going forward that quality would reduce you know instead of letting that happen to this amazing community that you'd built i think you know deciding to shut it down and have it be celebrated and recognized for the work that it had done these past few years that way people will always associate with this movement with a positive aspect and also make you know for whoever else comes in to take up this space will um kind of be recognized and be able to build on that positive experience you've already created that also is important to highlight for sure yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> so have you had a chance to think about kind of what's next for you where you going or are you just taking some time to relax you know um take a step back focus on your 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 mental health and you know um everything all the other you know awesome things going on in your life um well i i think i, I for sure i'm going to stop for a while <laughs> i think it's such a such a an exhaust an exhaustive journey that you definitely need some perspective and some some time off afterwards mm-hmm. um so that's definitely going to be it Uh, I'm still wrapping around a bit some of the learnings and I think I'm I'm still a lot of things from this experience I still didn't absorb so mm-hmm. I want to have that time um also to understand there are some things that I really love to do there are some things that I really understand that I hated to do mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had to do yeah and I also want to want to reflect a bit on on the ecosystem of support for social innovation and also what's missing and mm-hmm. and where can i give my contribution i'm always questioning myself and what i'm doing and sometimes that is great sometimes that is horrible because you're always putting yourself into question <laughs> but i think that's i've accepted that's just part of me but a lot of times when you're doing work like this and you need to really collaborate cross sector you collaborate with the private sector with the social yeah. sector with the public sector a lot of times i really felt that for example maybe if i was on the other side like on this closing or opening this door if i was on the other side and i was the one right. opening the door yeah. to other organization yeah. maybe the impact would be thousand times bigger so i don't know i i i want to take this time to also think about that and mm-hmm. sometimes maybe is with the emotional luggage the technical mm-hmm. experience that i took from here 
maybe that can be very valuable into understanding, okay, I was working with social innovation on the field, with entrepreneurship, really on the front line. How can I take this experience to a more organizational level, to a more policy level? Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe that can be the next step. I don't know. I, I, I want to have this time to really understand where are, I'm going to say, like the loopholes in the ecosystem. In the system, yeah. That definitely sounds like an interesting path forward just because you've had this experience working with people, seeing what micro businesses are missing. And then, you know, even with COVID, how that impacted. And then you talked about the delayed payments and how that's affecting micro businesses to stay in business. Do you have any final words or anything for anyone listening to this podcast? Maybe just, I think something that was very, very uh, enriching for me was to, to really push myself to be in environments with, with, uh, people that also, uh, I'm going to say, have this drive to do things and make things happen. And I think that the, the GCM, the Global Changemaker Summit, was really like uh, one of them, one of those like perfect examples that uh, you've, you have some ideas, you have some drive, you start to do some things and you're pushing. But when, you're, when you look for these opportunities of being surrounded by people that are doing this exactly what you're doing, but in different countries, in different contexts, with different ambitions, with different colors, shapes, whatever, then you, it really starts to become real. And then I, I think it, it's also like you have this spark and that really like inflames this spark. And I feel that that, that had helped me massively, uh, massively in a lot of times. So I think that if like whoever is listening is in this position, this can be highly enriching, especially in this, in this, in this time. And I've also felt that a lot of times, and I remember the Global Changemakers was, was again, one of the, one of the summit, one of the, the opportunities where I felt that was that a lot of times when we're starting our careers, when we're giving the first steps, we have this impression that, yes, we need to prove ourselves. There's nothing that we gave to the world yet. Um, and I remember going to these summits and these forums, and there was these really people that I really admired, entrepreneurs, business leaders, politicians, like very, very high end. And they were looking at me uh, because I was in these forums and in these summits, and they were thinking, you haven't done anything, but you can do anything. You still have everything ahead of you. Me, I can be the president of a country, but I've already done that path. I cannot be nothing, anything else with like this time, with this career. Mm -hmm. And maybe yeah. I haven't done anything and now I'm not going to do anything special, mm -hmm. but you have this thing. And this is such a, such a, an ace like that you have. And that a lot of times I see a lot of people, oh, I'm young. I have nothing. No, like we, we have this, we have yeah. just the possibility Yep. And I think it's a great time, like, uh, for people that are starting, that want to, like, put the first seat in this ecosystem, that want to try to really surround themselves with people that think the same way and to, to see these possibilities that are in front of them, because that's a very power powerful thing that we have in front of us. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I know when I was, you know, applying for the GCM, 
I think the thing I wrote in my I, I said in my video was like, I want to be inspired, being inspired and being around people like that can definitely change your perspective. And also, it almost opens up your own way of thinking and you start seeing possibilities when you know, before you either didn't see them, or you just saw challenges ahead of you. And just shifting your way of thinking can do wonders to you know, how you imagine your own future. So I think that's something the GCM community does really, really well, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe let me let me finish just with one story because I also think that these forums sometimes help you to how can I say? A lot of times we think of entrepreneurs, these people in high positions, and they are like a bit unreachable. They are mm -hmm. like something that almost they're they're not humans, and even if we know they are humans in our heads, they are not. Yeah, and and I think that a lot of times these programs. They, because they put you in direct touch with these people that you think are unreachable, really break that, like break mm -hmm. that ceiling glass. And it's just people uh, out there. And I, I just remember this story from the summit when I was there, this young social entrepreneur, and she was really like a force of nature. Uh, she had an incredible project. She had to fight everyone and everything around her to really push herself and even her family didn't accept that she was like a social entrepreneur mm -hmm. and she did such an incredible job that she was recognized and her family recognized so this super inspiring story like she was really like a strength and then she slept at night and she left the light on because she was afraid of the dark mm -hmm. and for me this was so touching because this really puts into perspective that no matter what you're doing there's always something behind and we are mm -hmm. We all have our struggles. We all have our fears just in different perspectives. So the moment you break this glass ceiling in between people, mm -hmm. not only there's more acceptance like in general, but also you start to understand that maybe things that you thought that are not reachable, they are. And for me, that has been super important. Just keep breaking these ceilings and just to keep like pushing and going forward. That has been like very, very precious for me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's a great note to end with. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to all of us. It's been super inspiring to hear your story and all of the work you're doing around micro business, but also just to hear your own perspective on your own journey as an entrepreneur, where that's led you, all of the things that you learned, and also just your advice for people that are going on this path. Because a lot of people, entrepreneurship sometimes can be a little bit of a lonely journey sometimes. So creating that community is super important. So thank you so much for taking the time and for coming to talk to us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to reach out, you can contact us via email at info at global-changemakers.net. Send us your comments, questions, or suggestions. Join our global community of young changemakers on Instagram at Global Changemakers, Twitter at WeAreGCM, and Facebook. Remember to rate, review, subscribe, and support. To help us continue to inspire more young people, Share this podcast on your social media or contribute with your donations. Find all the info and links in the comments below and see you in the next episode.